Hello, everyone. My name is Brennan Marr. That noise you're hearing is my ventilator. And welcome to another Mando Monday. Presented by Page Turners. They were not my Star Wars podcast. Okay, folks. Chapter 23. The Spies. Oh, my word. What an episode. So, without further ado, okay, I'm not going to break down every scene in terms of telling you the whole story. Because it's already been told. (laughs) So, the very first shot is a really cool Blade Runner style shot. Neon lights, the rain, the, you know, the skyscrapers. On Coruscant, looks very Blade Runner. Elliot Kane, who's wearing a, uh, oddly enough, is wearing a jacket that looks very similar to what Harrison Ford worn, what Harrison Ford wore in Blade Runner. So it's definitely got those Blade Runner vibes. Well, she meets up with an Imperial probe droid. Yes. Old-fashioned Imperial probe droid. And talks to you know who Moff Gideon by hologram. Apparently, she's telling him, you know, we got a problem here. The Mandalorian clans are uniting, and Gideon's like, "Well, they hate each other. That's not going to work." The Kane's like, "Well, they're being united. Bo-Katan is uniting them." Um, and, you know, so I guess that the Empire, what remains of it, didn't want the Mandalorians united because a united front, uh, that's a problem. Because they're united, then, you know, they could be unstoppable. So then we get what is, I think, this episode is a good episode. The greatest part of it, I think, is the first five minutes. And I don't mean that to insult the other parts of it. I just mean that the part that everyone's talking about, and rightly so, is in the first couple of minutes. So we see through our, well, we'll get there in a minute. Gideon is on, we don't know what planet at this point, though. We discover later he's on Mandalore. He walks through this really cool corridor with these, like, energy force fields that open as he walks through, and standing on either side are really cool-looking stormtroopers. They're sort of a Mandalorian Super Commando Stormtroopers. It's kind of what they look like. They, they add sort of that white and gray Stormtrooper look. But look really, really cool. I gotta admit, it's a really neat design. Wither came up with it. And Gideon enters the room, and there's a bunch of holograms. 
It's the Imperial Shadow Council. Yep. So what's going on, as we learn, is that they're making a ruse. They're pretending to be disorganized warlords. You know, independent Imperial warlords. Causing trouble for the New Republic. Yeah, and the New Republic is aware of some of the Imperial warlords out there that I think that they're under the impression that they're just a bunch of independent warlords that don't pose a serious threat. Well, our faithful X-Wing pilot, Carson Teva, he suspects something's going on. And he's right. And and we didn't really know. We, we kind of knew that there was, you know, we knew that the First Order is going to happen. And I think up to this point, that's what we assumed. Carson Tello is talking about. This episode reveals, nope, it's bigger than that. Now, we don't exactly know in terms of the canon what's going on with the First Order at this time. So, we'll speculate on that later. So, the Empire, these fragments of the Empire are making it look like they're just a bunch of independent leaders. When in reality, they're actually working together. They're trying to create the, the illusion that they're disorganized. And who should be saying these words? Okay, folks, hold on to your hats. It's Captain Gilad Pelion. Captain Pelion was invented 30 years ago in Timothy Zahn's original Thrawn trilogy from the early 90s. He is Thrawn's right-hand man in those books. Thrawn in those old books. Thrawn is the ruler of the New Empire. And Pelion is his right-hand um, basically like his first officer. So we get this meeting and Pelion is there. Played by the marvelous that guy actor, Xander Berkeley. Um, if you don't know who Xander Berkeley is, I know he plays a big role on 24, but I never saw the show. He has small roles in Air Force One as the president's uh, uh, one of his security guards. And he's in Apollo 13. It's sort of the news liaison. He's hanging out with Marilyn Lovell, Mrs. Lovell. Well, Jim Lovell's in space. Um, he's like a media liaison. Email. The man has an incredibly long list of performances, both on in shows, in movies, and even in video games. He also does voice acting. So I, I'd seen him before, 
And I got to say, he looks exactly the way I pictured Pelion the book. With the mustache, with the uniform. You know, very prim and proper Imperial. And who else is in the council? General Hux's dad. Yeah. <laughs> yep. General Brendel Hux is there as well. Interesting little detail. So General Hux in the sequel trilogy is played by Donald Gleason. His brother, Brian Gleason, plays General Brendel Hux in this episode. Um, both actors, by the way, are sons of, of Brandon Gleason. So the Gleason family is definitely big on acting. So they're all having this meeting and they're talking about what's going on. And Pelion mentions that Thrawn is going to bring order to the galaxy. Now, Thrawn up to this point has kind of been keeping a low profile. Pelion's like, he's going to return, I promise. But Moff Gideon's like, I keep, I see that he's continuously absent when our meetings. And Pelion's like, he's going to return. I promise. And so Thrawn is sort of the the de facto leader of the Imperial Remnant. Now, these leaders, it feels like a kind of a loose alliance. Like they're not necessarily all on the same side. They're united to the Empire, but as Imperials often do, they have their own agendas. Anyhow, so he keeps talking about Thrawn. And Moff Gideon's like, well, Thrawn is taking forever to show up. Maybe I should be the boss. So clearly there's a sense of disunity here. We also hear about something called Project Necromancer, which is something that General Hux is working on. General Hux Sr., I should say. I don't know what that is, but necromancy, you know, power to raise the dead or whatever. I think that's leading to Palpatine, I think. Unless there's some other nefarious plan going on. And it's funny that that Moth Gideon says to Hux, cloning is your area of expertise, not mine. Which, of course, is a big fat lie because we see that Moth Gideon seems to have some uh, laboratories where he's doing some weird cloning experiments. Or maybe not cloning, but something to that on that level. In season two, those vats filled with like dead, mangled corpses, you know. 
he's up to something with experimentation. But I think the suggestion is that Hux, Hux is involved with resurrecting the Emperor. I think. You know, we don't really know if younger General Hux was aware of that. But more will be revealed, I'm sure, at some point. Also, um, you know, they're waiting for Thrawn to show up. But enough getting orders some uh, additional troops and whatnot, which Pelion and Hux reluctantly agree to grant him. So it seems like Pelion, in particular, as Gideon says, Pelion's voice carries weight. When Pelion says something, he says it with authority. So anyhow, that's the state of the Empire. Um, and that might be, at least to me, the most interesting part of the most interesting part of the episode. Now, what's interesting is that that Hux says to Gideon, where's Dr. Pershing and the research that he promised? And, you know, Gideon says Pershing was captured by the New Republic. And that the research was lost. I think that that might be a lie. I think that the research has not been lost. It's something that Gideon wanted, but he's not going to tell the others about it. And the reason I believe that is because of the third episode in this season. When Kane convinced Pershing to help her get the equipment he needed. And then she turned the tables on it. So I suspect that that research is not lost. And that that's a big lie. Anyhow. Okay. Now we jump to the other part of the episode. Uh, Axel Wolves and his Mandalorians come and join the rest of the Mandalorians on Navarro. Uh, they, they all decide that they're going to go and retake Mandalore. But they need to scout out the planet first. Bo-Katan asks for volunteers. Lots of people, including, oddly enough, when people stand up to say, I'll join, Grogu stands up too. Now what's interesting is before this, Grief Karga gave the gift of IG-11 to the Mandalorian. To Din Djarin, IG-12 as he's called. The Anzillans basically gutted him and turned him into a mecha that can be piloted by a little creature. 
Grief Cargus says Grogu can play the game. So now we get Mecha Grogu. <laughs> He's in a cockpit in IG-12's chest. Which is really fun. And also the it allows Grogu to be an even more stubborn toddler than ever. And it's really funny that he can press the button uh, that says yes or no, which is kind of funny. So being a toddler, you know, it's no, 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 you know. And then yes, yes. Anyhow, Grogu and a bunch of other Mandalorians, including all of our favorite people, volunteer. Uh, volunteer to go to Mandalore. So they go to Mandalore and they land and they're searching around. And then they run across some other Mandalorians. Uh, in this really, really cool like land ship. Um, and you know, there's these really, like, worn-down-looking Mandalorians who have been living on the planet since the Empire destroyed it. You know, the Night of the Thousand Tears or whatever. So they all team up and get on the ship. And later that evening, when they're having a meal, bo explains what happened and why Muff Gideon got the dark shape. The ISD, the Imperial Security, had reached out to Bo-Katan, you know, basically telling her, negotiate a ceasefire. And she, she met, I guess, in Muff Gideon. And Muff Gideon promised that if she submitted to him, if she surrendered to him, he would spare the planet. From further destruction. So she gave him the dark saber and surrendered, but he betrayed her and committed the great purge of Mandalore. Yep. Um, she surrendered and gave it to Moff Gideon only to be betrayed. And the Mandalorian survivors asked, how did the, the covert survive? And the armor's like, well, we were on the moon of Concordia. We used to be Death Watch, which is a terrorist group, but then it splintered into, as the armor says, numerous warring factions. You know, and Bokatan says yet again, the fact that we're all fighting each other isn't good because then it means the Empire can just easily walk over us. But if we're united, we're unstoppable. Bokatan seems to be that force that can unite. You know, it's funny, Din 
Jin says to Jin uh, says to Bo that you know he had been taught that everybody but the children of the watch had forsaken the way of the Mandalore. He he believed that Bo-Katan was unselfish. I'm sorry, was selfish and uncaring. But Din says he understands. Now, based on what she said. And he says, station and bloodline mean nothing compared with honor, loyalty, and character. He says these are the reasons why he follows her. And he's going to follow her until her song is written. She seems very encouraged by this. Anyhow, they keep exploring, and then you have this scene where um, past Vizla and Axwolves are playing what looks like chess. And they get mad at each other over something. You know, a move that that uh, X makes. And they get into a fight with their vibro blades, you know, their knives. And they're really mad at each other. And Bo's like, we gotta let them work it out. So they're fighting and beating the crap out of each other. And this, just when they're about to, like, end up killing each other simultaneously. Who stops them but Grogu? Mecha Grogu steps in the middle and holds them apart, saying, No, 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 no. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me that Grogu was the one to do that. You know, Grogu reminds me of my twin nephew and niece. They don't really talk, but they understand everything you say. Grogu is that that kind of kid. <laughs> he doesn't speak, but he understands perfectly. And he understands that they can't fight each other. Because then the Empire is going to have the upper hand. It's interesting that, that Grogu, an outsider, is the one to, to be impartial. And say, you got to stop this. It's a great moment. But the evolution of Grogu, I think Grogu has evolved quite a bit through this show. And this season, he's much more, um, clearly more mature than he was. And his understanding has definitely increased. So anyhow, that was a cool moment. Yeah, they go along, they keep going along, and then they see this, like, big, well, before we get there, so there's a bunch of injured Mandalorians who were part of this survivors group. The armor says she'll take them back to the fleet. The fleet is in orbit, so she takes them on the gauntlet and takes off. Uh, now, on Mandalore, there's a large dragon-like creature that comes out of the ground 
and completely destroys their ship. So they all retreat into an underground cave. And the cave eventually leads to the Great Forge of Mandalore. Which is what they were looking for. The Great Forge, I guess. Like the dwarves in Lord of the Rings, the Great Forge was always being used. You know, the clinging of hammers and building of armor was like a 24-hour thing. And so they come to the ruins of the Great Forge, but then they're attacked by these Imperial Commandos wearing Beskar. And what proceeds is a really big battle. And as they're running, they get stuck in some blast doors. They got lured into a trap. Din is on the other side of the blast door and he gets captured by the commandos and Grogu is stuck behind the blast door and can't do anything about it. So Din gets taken prisoner. Not Gideon shows up in the next phase of the Dark Trooper suit. The Dark Troopers in Season 2 were those robotic stormtroopers. Well, now Gideon is wearing a suit made of Beskar that's all black. It looks really cool. And he says that he's going to... His hope is to combine elements of the Jedi, the Mandalorians, and cloning to create a new army that will restore order to the galaxy. That's, I think, what he wanted Grogu's blood for. The reason he wanted that high midichlorian blood is, and I, it feels like he hasn't quite figured it out yet, but he basically wants to make an army of Force-sensitive clones wearing Beskar armor that would be unstoppable. So now we kind of know what that's all about. Uh, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll learn more in the next episode because uh, Muff Gideon's a bit of a braggart and and likes to monologue. So we'll see what he has to say. Well, it turns out Muff Gideon has basically taken over Mandalore. He has a bunch of soldiers. And he has a bunch of TIE Bombers and TIE Interceptors, which he then launches to engage the fleet in orbit. So he launches them with our Nandos on the ground. It's too late. Now, thankfully, just before they were all captured, Axe blows rocketed up through a hole in the ceiling above the Great Forge to go up and warn the fleet that Tide Bombers and Tide Interceptors are coming their way. So Axe takes off. Now, unfortunately, stuck outside of the blast doors is Taz Vizsla. Taz takes down a whole bunch of the troopers. A whole bunch of those, those commandos. But then, 
something that Noctinian had ordered in the first scene of this episode. Praetorian guards. Now, what are Praetorian guards? Those red guards in The Last Jedi, those are Praetorian guards. So this is an earlier version. An earlier version wearing really cool armor. And unfortunately, they kill Pazdisla. Or at least we assume he's dead. Because they stabbed him quite a few times. It was pretty nasty. And our dear Pazdisla looks like he is no more. Before he engaged them, he gave one final, this is the way. And I think he meant it. And that's the end of the episode. So, that leaves us on quite a cliffhanger. Thankfully, Bo-Katan used the Darksaber to cut a hole in one of the blast doors so they could retreat. So they all retreated. Um, and now Din is captured. And now Bo and Grogu and Cuscariz and some of the others are going to have to figure out what to do. Now the title, The Spies. Well, it's clear that Elia Kane is a spy. She's pretending to work for the New Republic. But she's secretly working for Gideon. I don't know if she's aware of the Shadow Council. But a lot of people have been wondering, are there other spies in this episode? Spies and or traitors. Now, a lot of people like to point fingers at the armor and say that she's really a bad guy. She's not a good guy. And that she's going to betray them. Now that might be true. But let's consider that the Empire massacred our entire cohort. In season one. Unless she was a double agent for the Empire. I can't imagine that she'd be very happy that the Empire killed all of her. All of her cohort. Unless she's always been in the pocket of the Empire, and that was just a, it's all just a scam. Now, I find that unlikely. I think the armor really believes in the cause. Now, some people feel that the armor is an evil cult leader who is not good no matter what. And that she's secretly evil and a hypocrite and doesn't really believe in any of this stuff and you know, and that all may be true. This last episode might reveal that. But I think, just as a side note, that a lot of people are anti-armor because of their own religious upbringing. And what I mean by that is that they, if they have negative feelings about organized religion, 
they're going to take that out on the armor because she represents the leader of the religion, basically. Now, I may be stretching here, but I think there are some fans who are, and whether or not they're right or not, I don't know. But definitely, the armor is reminding them of their own, as you might say, religious trauma. Which might be a reason that they don't trust her, and maybe they're justified. Maybe she does turn out to be a villain. Now, I don't know what's going to happen, but she flies up to the, their, their, um, the, their light cruiser with the injured. And so does Axe Wolves. Could either of these characters actually be a traitor? Actually be a spy? It's possible. That Axe is working for the Empire. It's possible. All I can say is there's probably going to be a space battle on this week's episode. Um, I, I, now, it might be interesting to know that it's possible that the armor might say we got to retreat and abandon our heroes on the planet. Or Axe might be the one to say we got to retreat and leave them. Maybe Axe and the armor don't get along and there's a fight. I don't know. I don't really know what's going to happen. All I can say is even though the armor has done some things that might be called, as the kids say, very sus, very suspicious this season, and throughout the whole show, I don't think she's a traitor. Or a spy, she could be. She could very well be. I don't know. All I can say is that is that yes, she might be a misguided cult leader. I don't think she's necessarily evil, but then again, this episode might prove me wrong. Okay, that's sort of it. Um, this is a really good episode. I think it's kind of funny that the first 10 minutes had me the most intrigued. If you want to know more about who Pelion is and why the fans were so excited to see him, I would recommend going to Star Wars Explained on YouTube. Alex and Molly Damon have a great show that explains the Star Wars universe. I actually got to meet Alex and Molly in person at last year's Star Wars Celebration, and they're great people. So go and check out Star Wars Explained. They just released a video today explaining who Pelion is. And now we kind of know the state of the Empire, which is really cool. To get to know what's actually going on. And we're getting a little more insight into what Moff Gideon is up to. And I can't wait for this week's episode. This week's episode is 
the season finale of season three. And then we're going to have to wait till August for the Ahsoka series. But now we know what Thrawn is all about. We know what Talion's up to. We know what Moff Gideon's doing. We've got hints that General Hux Sr. is up to something. Now we know. And now we know that Moff Gideon had basically taken over Mandalore. Now, it's entirely possible that those Mandalorians that were on that ship, the survivors, that some of them might be traitors. It's possible. It's possible that they knew that Moff Gideon was there. You know, because it, it is a little bit suspicious that they lead them to the Great Forge and then are immediately beset on by Imperials. Seems rather suspicious, at least on a surface level. Now, I may be wrong. The title might only refer to Elia Kane. It might also refer to the fact that this is a scouting party going to Mandalore, basically spying on the planet. This next episode will probably give us those answers. And I can't wait. So what a great episode. I am so excited to see where it goes this week. And those are my thoughts. My name is Brendan Marr. That noise you hear is my ventilator. Thank you for tuning in to Page Turners They Were Not, my Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you.